Exodus chapter 29 verse 1 and this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hollow them and God is now telling Moses how to hollow Aaron and his four sons who are gonna be the high priests to make them holy the instructions God is gonna give is actually gonna make Aaron and his sons holy but it's like a temporary holiness because if they don't follow the instructions or if after they're done serving the Lord they they plunge into sin they won't be holy anymore but this is gonna make them holy for their service to minister unto me in the priest's office take one young bullock and two rams without blemish a bullock is a steer which is a boy cow that had its testicles removed and two rams that don't have any blemish and that represents not not having sin two and unleavened bread and cakes unleavened mingled with oil the bread mixture is made with oil it's a fine oil and a fine flour and there's no leaven and wafers unleavened spread with oil Ooh, that's neat in addition to loaves there's wafers which are like bite-sized pieces that are spread with oil this is very precious food this is like offering a fine wheaten flour shalt thou make them three and thou shalt put them into one basket and bring them in the basket with a bullock and the two rams four and Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tent of meeting and shalt wash them with water they're gonna come to the door of the tabernacle they'll be washed with water I believe the live bullock and the two live rams are there with a basket that has the bread and the oil it's interesting how it tells Moses to wash Aaron and his sons it doesn't tell Moses to tell Aaron to wash themselves because it means that Moses has to oversee and make sure that they're clean he's responsible for making sure that they're clean it's kind of like God trusts Moses more than he trusts Aaron and Aaron's sons to follow the instructions Aaron and his sons are gonna need help for all of this it's not gonna be easy usually washing is simply submersing the entire body in water all you know from head to toe five and thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the tunic and the robe of the ephod he'll have to have the boxer shorts on first then the white garment which represents righteousness then the blue robe which represents holiness on top of the white robe then over that will be the ephod garment which is the multicolored garment that has gold sewn into it and that's going to represent everything that is Christ so the priest is literally putting on Jesus Christ it's just really amazing because all of this apparel represents some form of Jesus the ephod it's got blue red purple white and gold it represents holiness righteousness kingliness royalty and it represents sacrifice the blood and the breastplate the breastplate has the stones of all 12 tribes on it and gird him with a skillfully woven band of the ephod this would be like really expensive clothing because this would take a lot of care to make properly the ephod is the multicolored apron and then the breastplate also is the same multicolored material but it's a small square that goes over the chest six and thou shalt set the meter upon the head and put the holy crown upon the meter the meter is made of linen the white parts are the the bonnet or the meter in some translations it's called a bonnet it's white and the reason it's made of linen and the reason the white undergarments are made of linen are because linen prevents you from sweating first God has told them to bathe 
to get all the dirt off. And now he's dressing them in material that covers their body will prevent them from sweating. So they're not going to sweat and they're not going to be naked because they have the boxer shorts on. The meter on top of the head will keep the head from sweating because you know when you're hot, sometimes your head sweats more than any other part of your body. Plus the fact that it's white, it'll reflect heat from the sun. So it'll help keep them very cool. The linen regulates your body temperature and keeps you from sweating and being uncomfortable. They're not going to be a sweaty, sloppy mess when they're doing all this work. And this is going to be a lot of work when they're receiving the offerings for the children of Israel. The priests are one tribe and all the other 11 tribes are going to be bringing offerings. So that's approximately one person per 11 families to receive offerings for 11 families. If you think about it, that's a whole lot of work. And this includes heavy lifting and stuff because these animals are really big. It includes butchering and lifting. And the crown was the part that had inscribed on it, Holy unto the Lord. 7. Then thou shalt take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. It represents the oil of the Holy Spirit. And as we said before, this is precious oil. It's from the first crushed olives. It's not pressed olives, it's crushed olives to represent that Jesus was beaten before he went to the cross. The jewels representing each tribe that the priest is wearing, they're over his heart and over his shoulder. So the two onyx stones over his shoulder represent that he is carrying the tribes and the 12 stones on his breast represent that the tribes are close to his heart. 8. And thou shalt bring his sons and put tunics upon them. So they also get the white tunics. 9. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, and that is the multicolored sash that has the same colors and the gold threads in it, just like the ephod and the breastplate. And the sash goes kind of high on your rib cage, or it could go on your waist. 9. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and bind head ties on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. And thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. This is going to be throughout the Levite generations. And John the Baptist was a Levite. He's And Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived up until Jesus' time. And the greatest prophet who ever lived was a Levite. And the greatest leader that Israel ever had was a Levite because Moses is a Levite. Jacob actually cursed his son Levi because his son disobeyed his wishes and went out and killed enemies, but he didn't have his father's permission to kill them, and his father considered it an unjust killing. But God has blessed Levi with all this amazing heritage and legacy of the tribe of Levi. So it shows you that even if you do wrong and you've sinned and there's a curse on your life because of it, that doesn't mean that God can't heap blessing on as well later. When you sin, yeah, it will bring you problems. But when you repent of your sin and you let Jesus take over, then the blessings will be greater than the problems. Don't ruminate over your past sin. That was a problem that I have when I got saved. I kept ruminating, ruminating, and ruminating over all my past mistakes and errors and problems and everything that I had done wrong, and I just couldn't get over it. And I had to learn. The Lord had to teach me that His promises were greater than my sin and that His restoration of my life was going to be greater than any destruction I had caused it. And a good example of that is here with Levi. 10. And thou shalt bring the bullock before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock. The reason they lay their hands on its head is because their own sin is imparted into the animal, and then the animal becomes guilty. 
it's so interesting now. We don't do this today because our sin was imparted into Jesus Christ. And Jesus became guilty on the cross, even though he was completely sinless. He did not. Now, some people today falsely claim that Jesus became a sinner. That's blasphemy. Jesus never became a sinner because you have to sin to be a sinner. The preachers who are teaching that are blaspheming the Lord. But he did become sin. There's a difference between being sin and being a sinner. All of our guilt was imparted on Jesus when he died on the cross. But he himself was sinless. He was never a sinner. But he became guilt anyway. Same thing here with the animal. These, these animals haven't committed any sins. They don't even know how to sin. They don't even know right from wrong. When the priest touches their head, the priest's sin is imparted into the animal, but it's not the animal's fault. The animal hasn't done anything. So the animal isn't becoming a sinner. And when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus did not become a sinner. He was righteous, which is greater than innocent. These animals are dying innocently, but Jesus died righteously because the animals didn't know right from wrong, so they couldn't have sinned if they wanted to. They couldn't have made a choice to sin. But Jesus does know right from wrong. He's God, and he still chose not to sin, even though he was tempted in every way that you and I are. He chose not to sin, and that's why his blood is righteous, and that's why his blood can transform our lives, whereas the animal sacrifices never did that. And that's why we don't do animal sacrifice anymore. It's because his blood is way more powerful. His blood not only forgives, but it transforms. And the animal's blood could never do that. 11. And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting. The Lord is present. He's watching. He's there with them when they do this. It's like heavenly court. The Lord is watching, seeing that a sacrifice has been made for the guilty, for the sinful. And, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the same thing. It was like a, a heavenly court transaction. God said, the world is guilty, but I'm allowing my son to pay the price. And here before the tent of meeting, he's saying Aaron and his sons are guilty, but I'm allowing this bullock and the two rams to pay the price. 12. And thou shalt take the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger, and thou shalt pour out all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. You'll see why Moses has to be involved in this, because Aaron and his sons can't do this stuff to themselves. Somebody has to pour the oil on them. Somebody has to put the blood on them. That person is Moses. Moses dips his own finger in the blood, and then he will put that blood on the horns of the altar. There's four horns of the altar, so he has to put blood in four places. And then the altar has a base around it that's kind of like a ditch where the blood can drain in there, and he has to pour the rest of the animal's blood into that ditch. 13. And thou shalt take all the fat that covereth the inwards, and the lobe above the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, and make them smoke upon the altar. Take out the innards and the inside fat from the animal and cook it until it becomes smoke. So it's going to be like when you smoke oil in the pan, but it'll be a lot more than that, of course. But they're going to cook all that fat until it smokes. 14. But the flesh of the bullock and its skin and its dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. Animals, when they die, they might have poop in them. So they have to take the poop, which would include the intestines, 
the skin of the animal and its flesh and burn it outside the camp. Jesus was born outside of Bethlehem and he was crucified outside of Jerusalem. In both cases, he was too good for the world. He was too good to be born in a city, so God had him born out in nature with the shepherds and the animals among God's creation out under the stars, you know. The light he had was the stars that his father created. He was born in nature because he was too good for man, and he died outside the city as well because he was too good. It's actually a symbol that God is saying to the world, my son is too good for this world. It's not a hateful statement, it's a loving statement. But because of that, part of the offering has to be burnt outside the camp to symbolize that Jesus was sacrificed outside of Jerusalem. 15. Thou shalt also take the one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands upon the head of the ram. Now their sin is going to be imparted into that ram. 16. And thou shalt slay the ram, and thou shalt take its blood and dash it round about against the altar. Dashing means sprinkling, and I believe they're probably going to use hyssop or something like that to sprinkle it with on the altar. This might seem gruesome, but this made everything holy. And spiritually, Jesus' blood is all over us spiritually. You don't see it, you don't feel it. But spiritually, when you become born again, you are covered in his blood. But here they're doing it in the physical, so it seems gruesome to us, but it's really a very holy, solemn occasion. And I'm sure it wasn't gruesome when they did it because they could feel the presence of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God. That's one ram now that's been um, sacrificed. 17. And thou shalt cut the ram into its pieces and wash its inwards and its legs and put them in its pieces and with its head. 18. And thou shalt make the whole ram smoke upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. They're going to burn the entire ram all the way to ashes. This is a sweet savor unto the Lord. The Lord will be able to smell the animal burning all the way to ashes. There's different kinds of offerings for different things. So this is called a burnt offering. 19. And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands upon the head of that ram. And so they do that. Their sin gets imparted into that ram. 20. Then shalt thou kill the ram, and take of its blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and dash the blood against the altar round about. Why is it the right all the time and your heart is actually on your left but they're putting it on the right ear the right thumb and the right toe jesus is the right hand of god he is the right arm of god the bible does not favor right-handed people over left-handed contrary to a myth that i've heard before left-handed people in the bible are always considered excellent marksmen Every single time the Bible mentions left-handed people, it says that they're excellent marksmen. So they're known as being better shooters than anyone else. Better with a bow and arrow, sometimes better with other weapons. But Jesus is the right hand of God, so all of these drops of blood are going to go on the right side of the body. 21. And thou shalt take of the blood that is upon the altar, and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it upon Aaron, and upon his garments, and upon his sons, and upon the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hollowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. In our natural state, we would say, oh, that's gross. It's a spiritual and a heavenly transaction. This is a holy event. God is present, and he's in control of it. 22. Also, thou shalt take of the ram the fat and the fat tail, and the fat that covereth the inwards, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. 
This is representing consecration. In other chapters, I'll go over each sacrifice means, but here I'm just going to describe the sacrifices. God doesn't allow the Levites to eat organs. It's actually not good for us, generally speaking, to eat organs. Also, God doesn't allow them to eat the fat. Basically, they get the best part of the animal to eat. He always gives them the breast, and he takes the rest a lot of times. Because the Levites do get to eat portions of the offering, but they get to eat portions that are healthiest for a human to eat. And then God takes all the other stuff a lot of times. 23. And one loaf of bread, and one cake of oiled bread, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Now they're going to take some of this bread that's out that was in the basket that was prepared. 24. And thou shalt put the whole upon the hands of Aaron. Moses has to take the bread, put it on the hands of Aaron, and upon the hands of his sons, and thou shalt wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They have to lift it above their heads and wave it back and forth. Sometimes wave offerings he lets the priests eat, so they wave it in front of him to show this is for you, God, but then they go ahead and eat it because they're allowed to do that. Because the priests don't have regular jobs, this is their job. They actually get fed through the offerings. But in this case, he's going to have them wave it and then give it back to him. 25. And thou shalt take them from their hands and make them smoke on the altar upon the burnt offering for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Moses, after they wave it, he's going to take it back and put it on the altar on top of the dead animal parts that are burning. And he's going to put it on top of those and it will burn up with the animal parts. It's going to become smoke on the altar upon the burnt offering for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's interesting how God always calls it a sweet savor, meaning that it smells good to him. It smells good to God when atonement is made for sin. He likes that smell. He likes knowing that we can now be forgiven. He wants to forgive us. He wants to cleanse us and make us whole. There's nothing that delights God more than our salvation and our forgiveness. To him, it's a sweet smell. It's a beautiful smell. The way that you and I feel when we smell a really delicious meal on the table, that's how God feels when he knows that we're uh, able to be forgiven. 26. And thou shalt take the breast of Aaron's ram of consecration and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be thy portion. He's saying, you get to eat the breast. And this is really common with God. He lets the priests eat the best part of the animal. 27. And thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering, which is waved and which is heaved up. The tongs were one of the things that they made a brass for the altar, and they used those tongs for the heave offering to heave it up on the altar which is heaved up of the ram of consecration, even of that which is Aaron's and of that which is his son's. I'm going to say this, but I don't want you to take it irreverently. But basically, God is telling them the rest of the barbecue is for you. They are going to lift it with the tongs, put it on the altar, and they're going to cook it for themselves, and they're going to eat it. That's their payment for doing the work of a priest. God always feeds us. He always takes care of us. When you serve the Lord, he takes care of all your needs. He feeds them while they're serving him. They don't have to go out and do a night job to get by. Because they're serving him, all their needs are taken care of. And so when you and I serve the Lord, all of our needs are taken care of. And we don't have to ask anybody for money. The Lord always provides 
28, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a due forever from the children of Israel, for it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, of their sacrifices of peace offerings, even their heave offering unto the Lord. This heave offering is always going to be for the Levites to eat, and the children of Israel, which is the other 11 tribes, owe it to the Levites, because Levites are performing this service, and it's a lot of work, and it takes hours and days. Every time there's a festival, every time somebody sins, the multitudes, the millions of people that have to come to the temple to do sacrifices, this one tribe, the Levites, are going to take care of all of it. 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. 30. Seven days shall the son that is priest in his stead put them on, even he who cometh into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. Each day he'll put it on. Now he doesn't sleep in it, but each day when he approaches the tent, he'll bathe himself and he'll put the garment on and then he'll go serve. 31. And thou shalt take the ram of consecration and seethe its flesh in a holy place. That means boil it. The ram of consecration that we talked about earlier is going to be boiled meat. 32. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the door of the tent of meeting. They have to eat it right in front of the tabernacle. They can't take it home to eat it. They can't go to the park. They have to eat it right in in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God wants them to commune with him while they receive his blessings. He doesn't like it when we take it and run. We're like, oh God, thanks for fixing my broken leg. And then I'm going to go out and sin and live my own life now. No, he wants us to be in his presence when we receive his blessings. He's allowing them to eat some of the bread. Some of the bread was burnt for him. Some of the bread they eat. It's actually still considered unto the Lord, but he wants them to eat it. And that's how God is. God loves us. He wants to take care of all of our needs. 33. And they shall eat those things wherewith atonement was made, to consecrate and to sanctify them, but a stranger shall not eat thereof because they are holy. This holy food can only be eaten by the Levites. They have to eat it. God also told them, we'll get to it later in this chapter, that whatever food is left over has to be burnt completely. God doesn't allow them to keep leftovers for two reasons. One is the practical health reason. It's going to rot and it won't be good to eat anymore. He won't let them eat rotten food. Number two, it's because they have to trust him for their daily bread every day. And that's why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us a hoard of food to last the next three months. He didn't say that. He said, give us this day our daily bread because every single day we need to trust the Lord. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to go shopping and put stuff in your cupboard. I'm just saying that we really need to trust the Lord every day and not hoard out of fear. And they're not allowed to do that here. 34. And if out of the flesh of the consecration, he also says a stranger shall not eat, and that represents the unsaved. The unsaved don't get the same blessings that the saved get. In a lot of churches, they'll say this blessing is for everybody, and they'll say such and such, and it's not true. If you read the Bible carefully, every blessing is only for God's people. He still provides for all the needs of sinners. He gives them rain and sunshine and crops and shelter and food and all of that good stuff. He gives them children and everything, but spiritual blessings are only for God's children. 35. And thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded thee. Seven days shalt thou consecrate them. And fire cleanses things. It cleanses the altar. It cleanses the food so that there's no rot. Burning everything to ashes prevents rot. God will put you and I through fiery trials at times and it purifies us. It cleanses us of the spiritual rot that's in us. 
For instance, I've always been a very impatient person. So God has put me through a lot of trials where I really had to learn patience, purified that rot out of me, the rot of impatience out of me. And now today I'm actually pretty patient. 35. And thus shalt thou do unto Aaron, unto Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded thee, seven days shalt thou consecrate them. So this is a seven day consecration. 36. And every day thou shalt offer the bullock of sin offering beside the other offerings of atonement, and thou shalt do the purification upon the altar when thou makest atonement for it, and thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. They're going to do this same ritual every single day for seven days. 37. Seven days thou shalt make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. Thus shall the altar be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. They have to be one-year-old lambs every single day. This is every single day throughout the year, just for the priests to do their job. They have to have these two lambs sacrificed. 39. One lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at dusk. They have to have the lambs ready every day. 40. And with the one lamb, a tenth part of an ephah of fine flour, mingled with the fourth part of a hin of beaten oil. It's making that fine bread. And the fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering. Sometimes the Bible calls drink offerings libations. A libation, it's a liquid offering that gets poured. And a lot of times it'll get poured over the animal that's being sacrificed, or it will get poured by itself onto the altar. The three liquids that are possible are the blood of the animal, wine, and fine oil. Witches and satanic worshipers, they do libations too, but they only do it with human blood because they're Satan worshipers. And Satan requires human sacrifice and human blood. So they commit murder in order to sacrifice to Satan. Sometimes they do use animal blood for a libation. They'll use chickens or whatever sometimes, but they'll also use human blood. Libation is a biblical word, but Satanists use it the wrong way and they do it the wrong way. So they also use that same word, but it isn't the same practice. And Christians don't need to do offerings anyway, because we have the blood of Jesus. 41. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at dusk, and thou shalt do thereto according to the meal offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. They have to do offerings every single day at morning and at dusk. 42. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto thee. And that's where the Lord will speak to them, always at the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle. 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tent shall be sanctified by my glory. Whenever the children of Israel have a big question, Moses will go to the tent of meeting. Or whenever Moses needs serious help from the Lord, he will go to the tent of meeting to meet the Lord to get the answer. And then when Joshua takes over, after Moses dies, Joshua will do the same thing. I believe he will also meet with the Lord in the tent of meeting. 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tent shall be sanctified by my glory. 44. And I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons will I sanctify to minister to me in the priest's office. Sanctification is meaning set apart. This altar can only be used for the purposes that God says. You can't do anything else on this altar. Nothing. It's sanctified, so you can't decide that you're going to play bingo on the altar. It's sanctified only unto the Lord's purpose. And he's saying the same thing about the tent of meeting. 
They can't have a birthday party in the tent of meeting. It's sanctified only unto the Lord. When you and I are sanctified unto the Lord, that means our lives are only for the Lord because our whole purpose is for the Lord. And the more sanctified you are and the more purposeful you are in the things that you do, the more time you will be able to spend with the Lord and the more you'll be able to serve him. If I'm really sanctifying my time and staying in the word, telling others about the gospel, then all kinds of amazing miracles happen in my life. And also my prayers are stronger. My testimony is stronger. Even when I'm watching dog videos, God still loves me. But if I'm reading the Bible, then I'm showing him that I love him. And that's equally important. 45, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Amen. And that concludes Exodus chapter 29.